ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, goofballs, scumbags, whether you was at the Estadio Dragao for a day trip, as Ronnie calls it. Day trip, y'all. Or whether y'all was at the crib. You know what time it is. This is the Footy Misfits, episode 43. Damn, 43 of them things. Look at that. I am your host, LV, a.k.a. Paper Fronto, a.k.a. My Rainy is Black Bottom, a.k.a. Buck Nasty. And I am sitting here with the one, the only. Y'all know him best as Ronnie, and so do I. Ronnie, say what's good for the one time. Hi, everybody. How are we doing? Happy Sunday. Happy Memorial Day Monday. If you celebrate it when this comes out, stay strong. Be brave. And uh, also, sitting here with the one, Mr. Data Desk himself. If you lying, he gonna know. It's like Maury Povich. Y'all know him as Spencer. And guess what? So do I. Spencer, say what's good, fam. What's going on, everybody? What's going on, people? You called, you called him the Footy Misfits Maury Povich. I love yeah, it. That's Spencer Povich. <laughs> uh, that was a lie. Okay. Uh, Ronnie, I mean, you know, eventful week. The business end of the season is done, which means that, you know, most, most of the time all the cups and the title races and chases and yada, 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 they come to a certain point. They finish off. And in Europe, at the very least, we like to finish off with uh, two competitions that we like to call the – UEFA Europa League and the UEFA Champions League, both of which happened this past week. I guess let's get right into it. The UEFA Champions League, the big boys competition, as we like to call it, the dance of all dances, you know, the Grammys red carpet. Uh, give us the belligerence and uh, we'll go from there. <laughs> so it was the Champions League final on Saturday. And of course, Manchester City and Chelsea begrudgingly played the game in not Villa Park, but at the Estadio do Dragao in front of a crowd of about 15K. Not that bad. Um, lineup selections. What do we make of that? I would say Chelsea's team, you know, they came and I think we expected that for the most part. Right. Uh, a hefty defensive lineup. Uh, I know we, we spoke a lot about, you know, that right-hand side with Reese James, Cesar Azpilicueta, uh, Jorginho. Obviously, you know, N'Golo Kante is there. Um, Antonio Rudiger has been playing incredible for them in the back line. Obviously, Thiago Silva, the main man who played in last year's final and took an L, he's back again. So with Chelsea's lineup, I mean, it was more of what we could have expected from Thomas Tuchel's side, heavily deep defensive. Timo Werner still starting. Kai Havertz making the start. So the German connection was there. Yeah, I thought that was the only question about Chelsea. Who else would be starting up top besides Werner? And it was between Havertz and Pulisic. And Havertz got the nut in. They took advantage of it. Yeah, and it sounds um, about right. A lot of Tuchel's sides over the course of the past season have been very uh, German-heavy, and by that I mean Pulisic, who was who used to play in Germany, uh, used to sit, uh, has been sitting his American ass on the bench and making an impact off of it. And to be honest, that's what he has been doing. I take your point. Now, on the other blue side of the field, the light blues, the city blues, um... The one thing a lot of people were talking about was no Fernandinho, no Rodri. Yeah, and you hit it right there on the head. 100% confusing. We always talk about uh, Pep Guardiola overthinking things in the Champions League or in big games specifically. Notably, his past Champions League exits last season against Lyon. Um, although, you know, the team was what it was. He had a weird three in the back of the lineup, yada, yada, yada. 
you know, you could say whatever, how the players played on the pitch, whatever. This season, you know, City playing in full force like they like they have been all season. The lineup has been sort of interchangeable throughout the season, but we felt we all knew Man City's strongest lineup, and it included Kevin De Bruyne, of course, and then it included one of either Rodri or Fernandinho. Now we know Gundogan has been an absolute force in the second half of the season. Um, but, it was a question mark going into this game, though. And yeah, absolutely, and so you know him having some sort of. Muscle spasms, I think, as you mentioned before, or something to that extent. You know, it, we were thinking the main bet, I think if I would have put money on it, I would have said Fernandinho was going to start, being that he right. has been in high form, in good form over the last, uh, you know, month or so. He's an experienced player. Um, and Rodri wouldn't be a bad bet either. Now, what Pep Guardiola did, um, two things in my opinion. We, you know, obviously not starting Fernandinho or Rodri, but instead going with three pretty much – he had Gundogan there in the center of the park behind De Bruyne, and then he had Philip Foden and Bernardo Silva next to him, two very attack-heavy guys. So that was the the one thing. The second thing was Raheem Sterling getting a start when he hasn't been featuring very much for Man City in terms of starting. He, you know, he makes an impact off the bench here and there, but has sort of lost his starting spot to Phil Foden, who would play in that sort of role. So those are the two questionable things for me. It looked like Guardiola was going for a full-on Let's control the game. Let's attack, 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 attack. And Chelsea wasn't going for that. <laughs> they were not, no. Do you agree or disagree with Guardiola's decision to sit out Rodri and Fernandinho? No, yeah. I didn't. You know Fernandinho is always going to hold you down in the midfield. Don't know why he would stray away from that. Since Man City fell twice to Chelsea in the span of about like a month under Tuchel, you kind of want to you know, switch things up for this third game but proved to be costly what about you yeah i mean i i think i'm with you in that um i, I agree that at least fernandinho or rogers just started and i i think fernandinho but guardiola definitely had uh much to say about that he defended himself in that and said he, he decided a decision to have quality players <laughs> wild statements um and then went on to say that gundwan has played many years in this position to have speed on the ball, find the small players, the brilliant players in between the lines, and this was the decision. So it just looks like that uh, whether you want to call it overthinking or whatever, it just seems like Tuchel's tactics beat uh, Guardiola's tactics on the day. Tuchel, after the game, admitted to the press, he said, and I quote, we were a bit surprised. I expected Fernandinho in the lineup to start. He chose a very offensive lineup in regards to Pep, a very technical lineup, Look at Tuchel being a nice guy. It was very hard to steal the ball and recover the ball. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, back to the game. Sorry, Ronnie. <laughs> um, the first half was pretty open. Um, I remember there was a couple of chances that were played for Timo Werner within like five minutes that Ederson either had control of or it was just a bit outside. And Golo Conte also had a header. Manchester City, again, the first half was open. So Manchester City's best chance was when De Bruyne played a ball to Phil Foden, who was that close to scoring, but Antonio Rudiger had other things to say. Yeah, absolutely. I think that sort of showed Chelsea's compactness, especially in the box. Any sort of chances that you saw that Man City had uh, were absolutely either snuffed out or players were swarmed on. Antonio Rudiger had an incredible game, uh, as did the rest of Chelsea's back line, Cesar Azpilicueta included. But all in all, yeah, I mean, I agree with uh, the Phil Foden chance, N'Golo Conte's chance, 
It was a, ch a game of low chances, both teams having less than 10 shots. Man City notably having only one shot on target. Uh, Chelsea having two, one of them being a goal. But all that being said, Ronnie, I think the main thing for me was the first half was very open. It looked like it was anybody's game. Two teams playing at their best, arguably two of the best teams in Europe, you know, and just kind of showing their guns and doing what they do. And, you know, Ch Chelsea, you could tell we're looking to counter uh, City's possession and any lost ball uh, in, the, in the middle of the park. And, you know, we saw that Werner having some chances that he just threw, you know, <laughs> Werner just kicking the dirt instead of the ball early on with, you know, a couple of chances, but still getting behind City's back line and, you know, showing that counter threat that City definitely had to respect, especially with having that offensive, offense heavy and possession heavy uh, lineup. No Fernandinho, as we mentioned, no Rodri. But the game itself was open and Chelsea got that goal. Before we get there, Thiago Silva had to be forced off with an injury. That could have been a turning point. Instead, Chelsea, they didn't let that deter them. Absolutely. And um, I think, it, well, one, the fact that it ended up not being a turning point or, you know, uh, not much change there is a, a testament to, you know, what Tuchel and Chelsea have been able to do over the past few months. Andres Christensen comes on and the back line and the midfield is as compact as it was when Thiago Silva was there. But in regards to Thiago Silva, it was a huge moment there. and The City players must have been licking their lips. And you hate to see it for Thiago Silva, you know, probably in his twilight, playing in the Champions League final. And he, I know he probably wanted to play, you know, the full 90 minutes and make an impact there. But um, yeah, man. it was what it was. Just before the half, Mason Mount found Kai Havertz in an area where there was nobody for Manchester City around, pretty much. That's where you could have used Fernandinho. But instead, Kai Havertz went one-on-one -on -one against Ederson. Ederson almost touched the ball outside of his box, but doesn't matter. Havertz sneaked it in, one nothing. Chelsea, of all the players that people had money to score, Kai Havertz, I'm sure, was not one of them. And, you know, I imagine a lot of players were, you know, or a lot of fans or whatever were pre-predicting, oh, all these Werner misses, you know, he's going to you know, be worth all the money that they spent on him and that entire season will disappear just based off him scoring in the Champions League final. And you could say the same thing for Kai Havertz, although his season, you could argue, might have been slightly better than Werner's, maybe not. But all the negativity towards that young man washed away in a single goal. And Kai with Kai Havertz, you love to see it. We saw it in his post-match press conference. <laughs> <laughs> but you love to see it, you know, um, very calmly, a beautiful ball for Mason Mount. The Ederson deflection could have went 50-50. Fortunately, it went to Havertz's way, and he calmly put it into the back of the net, and I mean, that could be the start of a budding career for that guy who was predicted to be, you know, an, the next superstar. So kudos to him. And, uh, you know, he, des he deserves it. He deserves that goal, especially everything that he's taken, like I said. And, and that, was, that was what she wrote. City, City fans hate to see it just before the halftime. But the game was not over just from there. Again, we thought that Chelsea would take that goal into the half. Momentum built match, as the City said. After that, they dominated the early stages of the latter 45 but they couldn't find the back of the net and then probably about 10 minutes in or so was when we saw another sub again did not like the circumstances kevin de bruyne and antonio rudiger were in a bit of a clash that left kevin de bruyne fucked up from the left eye yeah uh, that's one thing that you just never love to see especially with that specific player you know, you know, you don't want anybody to get injured, but Man City's are, you know, their best player, without a doubt, no question about it. 
probably the best player on the pitch and maybe the best player in Europe at this point, which is arguable. But at first, and Ronnie, you know, can can attest to this. At first, I was saying, "No, nah, no way! Like this is bullshit. He's fine. He's fine." After see, upon seeing it, you know, live and, and seeing the impact, it looked it looked like you know a little clash of the bodies, a little belly to belly, you know, you know, something like. But it turned out to be much worse than that, as Rudiger, Antonio Rudiger, and Kevin De Bruyne stayed on the ground for a minute, a couple minutes, and then from there we saw a, a few slow motion replays and realized that it was it looked a lot worse than it was. And then De Bruyne stands up and get and walks off clearly to show that he's getting subbed off. And just in those couple minutes, his the area around his eye already started turning purple. He looked like he had a black eye, like he got punched in the face. And I'm like, okay, this is serious. Yeah, that was one of the moments where we saw it. We're like, holy shit. Facts. And, and I mean, you know, you hate to see it. Even as it happened, we just didn't see it coming. So that was the big thing there. But ultimately, it did sort of kill City's momentum into that second half, as you mentioned, when they came out guns a-blazing. And um, you have to imagine that Chelsea was sitting there like, all right, now time to do what we've been doing all season. Um, really sorry for Kevin DeBrown there. I mean, he was subbed off for Gabriel Jesus, if I'm not mistaken. He was subbed off for Gabriel Jesus. That got me heated, personally. <laughs> and I'm not even a City fan. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully De Bruyne is recovered for the Euros if he misses group play, at least for knockout play. Roberto Martinez is definitely hoping so. I man, I would be too if I were Roberto Martinez. But moving on into the game, we saw Manchester City's second sub, Bernardo Silva making way for Fernandinho. Around the same time, Timo Werner came up for the American Christian Pulisic. I feel like bringing on Fernandinho at that point was a bit too late. I'm not going to disagree with you, but yeah, Fernandinho, absolutely, when he did come on, he did make an instant impact on the match. Maybe if he did start, you know, this could have been a different story. But Chelsea had the far better game, and that was clearly evident by the fact that N'Golo Kante was everywhere. (laughs) When isn't he ever? I think he was sitting in the pub with us at one point. (laughs) (laughs) hey man if you needed if you needed to go to the right wing he would if you needed to go up top he would he was everywhere he needed to be that proved to be important three straight man of the match performances in the champions league by the way the two against real madrid in the semis and then this one here in the final well deserved quickly to put a bit a pin on this on the match itself before we talk more about it there was a chance by Pulisic when Havers flicked him a ball in the, I want to say in somewhere in the 70th minute, but the ball went wide. Then we moved towards the latter part of the game, added time. Riyad Mahrez had a half volley right up the top of the box for um, Man City, but that went over. And that was pretty much last licks. Chelsea winning their second Champions League first since Munich 2012 Manchester City will have to wait again for their chance at winning the Champions League and Pep Guardiola still has not won a Champions League since departing from Barcelona <clears throat> ain't that a motherfucker well firstly because it is it was my pick to win the Champions League which is Ha-ha. which is one reason why it hurts secondly I mean City had me going at some point I picked them at the beginning of the season I'm like you know what Maybe they'll get there. And sure enough, they get to the final and come up short. So a big L for LB. 
but you know, it it is what it is there. Um, but overall, I mean, Ronnie, if you want to rate the game, I guess in comparison to the last few Champions League we've seen, what would you give it? Definitely better than 2019. <laughs> I agree. I agree for many reasons. <laughs> Definitely better than 2019. Um, compared to that of last year, when the game was again in. Portugal this time in Lisbon with no fans. Um, I would say it was better than that because it was just uh Kingsley Coleman goal that was a difference, and that was late in the second half or at some point in the second half. But I would say this was the best since 2018's Champions League final, um, the one where Real Madrid just handed Liverpool's asses to them. Yeah, fair enough. I think I would agree. Um, I definitely enjoyed it more. I mean, even though last season's Champions League final was the same scoreline between two European powerhouses in Bayern Munich and PSG, I just feel like this one was more lively. It was more open. It definitely felt, more open. And maybe this is a bit of recency bias, but I feel like that game it, it wasn't it wasn't it. And and in the stats, you know, in, in this game as well, show that there weren't many chances all the way around. But it just looked like you know a more open match, and that you know both teams were going at each other, and um, you know Chelsea. I think what they did, what they do best, and what they've been doing best in the last couple of months, especially in the last couple of Champions League rounds, um, is that you know knowing exactly when to pack it in and get compact and defend, defend, defend as a unit, and they they did it. They did it to City, you know the team that's been breaking teams down all season. Clearly, Chelsea is the one team that they have been able to break down. A quick fact, this is Pep Guardiola, now eighth loss to Chelsea. He has more losses against Chelsea in all competitions than any other club. Um, obviously, sure. as we know, he lost his last three in, the, in just the past two months. So fair enough in, in that aspect. So um, overall, yeah, I agree with you there. I definitely rated higher than uh, the last couple of Champions League finals. Overall, fun match to watch. And City left it late and just couldn't get that all-important goal in the back of the net. And another thing, not really any VAR controversy. Not that much poor officiating either. Hey, hey. As uh, the referee whose name I believe you have, because I can only remember him as what Spencer called him, Phil Collins, a.k.a. Mr. Air uh, in the Night, a.k.a. <laughs> Genesis. So. Antonio Mateo Laos, Spanish referee. And we'll get to him later, too. um but yes this game had so much so many little fun factoids like the ones lv mentioned pulisic was the first american to play in the champions league final and the second american to win it um cesar aspilicueta was the first spaniard to captain a ucl winning side that wasn't a spanish team that I found was pretty crazy. The last three Champions League winning managers have all been German. Yeah, and you know it could be you know that period we're entering into the new Renaissance, the German Renaissance, and you know there were shades of that last season and even a couple seasons before that. Not only in Europe but in the Premier League as well. Because if you, I guess, if you look at it like that, the last five Champions League finals have featured a German coach, going all the way back to when Liverpool, or the last four, I'm sorry. Going back to when Liverpool lost to Real Madrid, Jurgen Klopp was there. He's there the next season he wins it. We know about Flick and the Bayern Munich dominance. And then now Tuchel. So there could be a German renaissance incoming. Who knows? Those three German managers leading their sides to Champions League victory. Meanwhile, as we mentioned on the other side of it, Pep hasn't won a Champions League since leaving Barcelona. 
we already spoke about how he kind of overthought it, the Champions League final a bit, living up to that, you know, stigma or persona that was, that's been placed on him, whatever you want to call it, does not take away, at least to me, the fact that he is still an elite manager. And I just don't know, like, what's next. He did sign a deal to stay at Manchester City till like, what, 24, 2024? Yeah, I think 2023 or 2024, he signed another three-year or two-year deal. Uh, does he you know. does he end up winning the Champions League at, with, with City at some point? I, I think, I mean, you know, I, you could argue he's been close for the last six, seven years. Uh, let Yaya Torre's manager tell it. He'll never win because he's got a bunch of African shamans cursing him. <laughs> Spencer showed us that, and that was pretty <laughs> wild. <laughs> So, I mean, he has that stacked against him. He's like Lil B in the base guy cursing Kevin Durant till he moved to the Warriors, uh, notably where Lil B is from. So I don't know what Guardiola's got to do to get this curse off his back, but he's closer than ever, and he's been close and just no cigar. Um, but we'll see. Next year, should they improve their squad, as we know Man City probably will? Guardiola doesn't seem to be going anywhere. You know, he seems to be locked in. And uh, the, the, the push again for next season, I think that they definitely can get back there. The Champions League is the hardest competition in the world to win. That being said, uh, Man City are still, you know, an absolute powerhouse in Europe. Guardiola is still the manager of managers. You know, you can't take away what, what he's been doing over there. And I think they'll be back there. I think Guardiola will bring them back there. And will they win it? I don't know. I don't know. Now, this could also be Pep Guardiola's mouth biting him in the ass. Apparently, the Premier League is more important than lifting the Champions League. Hold on, hold on, if you want to be cynical about it, I guess it showed. Yeah, <laughs> he walked away with what he asked for. <laughs> and that was <laughs> love, so that's on you, Pep. Sorry, Guardiola tweet. Yeah, I don't know why you would volunteer that information out there. Yeah, man. I mean, and that being said, I mean, on the other side for Chelsea. Uh, not to go back to them again, but they now become the third English club to have won the Champions League at least two times. They join Manchester United and Liverpool. Nottingham Forest. Well, I guess so. One more thing on Chelsea, and we mentioned N'Golo Kante earlier. That man's name for Ballon d'Or has been screaming in the past 48 hours. Man, oh man. And, you know, recency bias in full effect, but it's just the... The thing about N'Golo Kante is that he does his job better than anybody does their job in the entire world. And, you know, he, he doesn't fold to pressure. It doesn't seem to be something that he even thinks about or something that, you know, has anything to do with his game. He comes here, he does his job, he clocks out. You know, it's like, will that ever be recognized as, as good enough to get a Ballon d'Or? I don't know. But he's shown up time and time and time and time again. And you can just see how much... How humble he is in his game in that even when they were going for the Champions League presentation, he's got the same smile he's got everywhere he goes. Every player is over there kissing the Champions League trophy. And he looks at it and gives it a little love tap and walks off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, he won the biggest cup in Europe. I mean, he deserves it. I, 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 let me not even say he deserves it, but I, I just I, I don't know if what he does will get, a, be, will get appreciated in that sort of uh that race. What did Jose Mourinho say about uh, uh, who was he talking about? Ivan Rakitic a while ago. He's not cool enough on social media. He's not flashy. He's not popping. 
or whatever the case may be. He's not sexy or whatever. But does that like it's crazy how that is the bar that wins you a Ballon d'Or? That's the bar that determines whether you're uh, one of the best or not. Yeah, your plat your platform or whatever. I mean, allegedly, like we don't know, but this is what it, it seems to have been. Luka Modric sort of, you know, broke the broke the mold in a little bit, but that was just, you know, that was once in a in a blue moon. But hey, listen, I'd love for him to win it. That would be a sort of akin to, you know, Lester winning the FA Cup, uh, a sort of step away from the typical whatever you want to call it, whether it be politics or the games that these uh, committees play. Um, I'd love to see him get it. I just don't think it'll happen. What about what about you? I want to see it happen. Will it happen this season, though? It would depend on what happens with France at the Euro, I would say. Yeah, and absolutely. And with that being said, he's he's probably got a hell of a shot. Barring any injury, hopefully not. He's probably going to do exactly what he, what he does week in, week out. And he plays in that position that he should be playing at. He's going to do exactly what he's supposed to do. And what he's supposed to do is what he did in the Champions League final. Um, so, I mean, he, he's got a shot. And honestly, if you think about it, this season, who else would be in that category? Robert Lewandowski will be vying for it again after breaking Gerd Müller's record. You know, who else would be in that category? We know the year that Messi's had has been whatever. We know the year that Ronaldo has, while productive, has been whatever. Yeah, they will probably include either one of them, you know, because you can't shake up the fall too much. Right. And so, I mean, yeah, I, I think that if he were to get it, this year could be a very big possibility, but I don't know. I just don't see it happening. And I hope, I hope I'm wrong about that. Hey, man, at some point, he, his game has to be recognized with individual awards, albeit he did win uh, one of those football writers of the PFA Player of the Year Award not too long ago. Yeah, but, and, and I think even in that season, not to put you over on it, sorry, even in that season where Leicester did the unthinkable, Riyad Mahrez won the PFA Player of the Year Award. And with that, with the you know those sort of awards, FWA, the Football Writers Association, at least, we saw Ruben Diaz was crowned Player of the Year. So they, you know, they do sort of look a bit more detailed into that, which you like to see. PFA, sort of a similar situation, um, but the big, the big awards, I guess, are honors the Ballon d'Or. We haven't seen a player that does the dirty work, the ugly work, win it since you know Fabio Cannavaro way back when. Yeah, man. But again, hopefully, he gets acknowledged for his individual achievement at some point with the Ballon d'Or. But um, any, any other thoughts or comments on the Champions League final? Yes. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, as soon as – well, hats off to him first things first. But as soon as they won the trophy, he was stepping up to the podium to receive his medal. And his first step he takes, he almost slipped, fell, and bumped his head. Uh, so – Tuchel, slow it down, it, fam. Man. You don't want to end up with a broken leg like he was last season in the Champions League final. But he couldn't do it last year. You <laughs> <laughs> have to carry him out the club like Prince. That's neither here nor there. But yeah, that's all I really have, that's all really I got to say about that Champions League final. Uh, Chelsea's done it again. They, they they proved time and time again that you know they they know how to win. Um, Roman Abramovich yes. was. Who was at the game? Who <laughs> <He> was there? <laughs> you know, the, Yo, it was the, wild to learn that that was the first time Thomas Tuchel and Roman Abramovich met in person. Right. He's the man behind the shadows pulling all them strings, calling all the shots, and he's nowhere near Stamford Bridge. Um, mm -mm. Hasn't been in Stamford Bridge in like four years. Right. But he was there at, he was probably praying that the game wasn't going to be at Wembley. And he got his wish. <laughs> <and> he, <laughs> he ended up there. Uh, at the Stadio del Dragao, and 
he was he was one of the you know he was down there celebrating with the players. He's looking at Tuka like you done did it. Now now don't lose any more matches or you're getting sacked. You know. So. Mm. They know how to win and they keep winning. That's all I got to say about that. Hey man, again, congratulations to the Chelsea Football Club, Royal Blue over Sky Blue, and uh, yeah, we'll just see what where things lead for Manchester City moving forward. In the meantime, we know who their opposition in the upcoming Super Cup in August will be, and that will be Villarreal, who in the Europa League final took on Manchester. Transition game, A1. <laughs> I'm gonna drop a little air horn for the transition game. Um, Europa League final uh, was on Wednesday. Villarreal and Manchester United from Gdansk, Poland. First half, we're gonna go all the way to the 29th minute when Dani Parejo found Gerard Moreno on a set piece for the opening goal of the match. That was Moreno's seventh goal of the competition. But more importantly, that was his 82nd goal for Villarreal, tying him with Giuseppe Rossi for the most in Villarreal history. So, shouts to Moreno. Big, big up to Gerard Moreno. Um, I think you said it and I said it. He has been saving them goals up. He was going to get something in the final. <laughs> and he did. I mean, we told Raw Football Talk this. Fact, oh, fact. Fact, oh. <laughs> Villarreal takes the advantage going into the half. Second half, not that far into it, Marcus Rashford takes a shot from about 20 yards out, which gets deflected into the bo- in the box, but finds Edison Cavani, who scores the equalizer for Manchester United. 1-1 is the score there. That was the full-time result after 90, and then the match went on to extra time. We talked about Kai Havertz, you know, all the pressure that he went through, the negativity and, you know, being not a bust, but, you know, he's the most expensive signing for Chelsea. He's not doing it, yada, yada, yada. Um, With United, you know, sort of the same thing, although Cavani wasn't obviously their most expensive signing. You know, he he, he was a player that we United fans and maybe people like us or pundits must have thought, you're not looking for a striker, you should be looking for a defender. And sure enough, you know, he's proved that he's maybe been their best player this season. It was a striker's finish. First guy to react to the ball in a big game like that and did exactly what he does, put the ball away. Yes. In retrospect, Cavani is, is never a bad signing. You know what he could bring to the table, and he's definitely showed it for Manchester United, um, scoring when they need him to. The semifinal against Roma looked like it could have gone to Roma, but Cavani was there, had his double to extend their lead on aggregate and put them in this final. Then he also had that marvelous goal against Fulham just before this game, too. So he's definitely held Manchester United down when they needed him to. In extra time, Villarreal had the better game. Villarreal, if you asked me, in extra time, mopped the floor with Manchester United. They looked to be, I don't know, confused, baffled. They were definitely ready to play the penalties. And when we get to the penalties, Lord... Lord, everyone had their penalty kick training. Whew, clearly. All 10 outfield players score their penalties, leaving the goalkeepers to take one each. Before we get there, though, there were some savable penalties in an otherwise perfect penalty kick shootout. Specifically, Paco Alcacer, who just slipped it past... David De Gea's right-hand side. 
Bruno Fernandez, um, Ruli, the goalkeeper for Villarreal, had fingers on it. Fred, um, Ruli also had fingers on Fred's chance. I want to say um, Moy Gomez and or Mario Gaspar also, they had fingers on those. But the most savable penalty was Luke Shaw's. You could tell right after the ball went into the net. Ruli had his hands on his head like, oh, I should have had that. But speaking of the Villarreal goalkeeper, he takes his shot, and it might have been one of the best shots of the penalty kick shootout. He should have went first. (laughs) (laughs) He struck it with force. Did did they have the hair courtesy dive? I don't know. But when it did get to the hair, he had the worst penalty of the lot. Worst for last. Penalties and... Villarreal 11, Manchester United 10. Villarreal wins their first major European trophy, the UEFA Europa League. Again, we're going to talk about the match in a bit more detail. Real quick, what do you think of the PKs? The game itself was entertaining for the most part, I'd say. The PKs, in my opinion, I mean, I was in there, you know, biting my nails, and I'm not a fan. I had no horse in this race at all. Um, so I can't imagine what fans of both of these clubs must have felt like watching that. But as you mentioned, it was like everybody came to take their penalties. And a couple of things I have to say. Well, first things first, before I get to that, Ronnie, how many uh, penalties has uh, David De Gea let, it, let in, 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 a, in a row now in all competition? <laughs> I think the number is 35, I want to say. And then when you do the math for club and country, it's about 40 or 42. Oh, God damn. Um, so that that was one big thing that stuck out to me. But now, in fairness, part, in fairness, how often do you expect the penalty kick shootout to go that many rounds? No, you're 100 percent right. I, I, you know, it, that's not supposed to happen. They had five for a reason, and then sudden death for a reason. Now they was about to go into sudden death, sudden death. That should not have happened, but it did happen. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, it was De Gea. It almost had to happen that De Gea would miss there. And sure enough, he did, unfortunately, for the guy there. And the crazy thing was he didn't even look too beat up after he missed it. He was just like, damn, all right. And a lot of people were talking about that part. Yeah, like, he, he didn't look beat up at all. I was like, like, he was ready to clock out of Manchester United. <laughs> he looked like he's like, yo, I'm not getting paid overtime for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the penalty kicks, you did mention that you thought, I forgot who you said who you thought would miss it. Man, I'll tell you, I thought a couple. Two, I Axel Tuanzebe, when I saw him go up, I said, it's over. He's missing it. Now, Lindelof allegedly is a good penalty taker. United fans, I guess, will tell you that. He's a good penalty taker. But Tuanzebe went up there, and I'm like, this is over. Fred, when Fred went up and took it, I said, this is over. <laughs> I thought the same of Fred, Daniel James, and... Uh, I think you mentioned Luke Shaw. Yeah, yeah but Luke Shaw's... You mentioned Luke Shaw, actually. Oh, well, there I go. <laughs> <laughs> um, there in the back of my mind, I wanted to say Marcus Rashford as well because apart from the shot that um, ended up being Cavani's goal, he didn't have the best game. On the Villarreal side, I thought Moy Gomez, someone between Gomez or Coquelin would miss. Mm. Now, uh, yeah, Rashford, I thought he was solidified. I mean, he just had a conversation with Barack Obama. That guy's he's doing big things. 
I feel like he's he's ice cold at this point. But that happened after the final. No, yeah, it, it did. But I'm just I just said it to say that. <laughs> if we knew, if I knew that, if if that conversation happened before the final, we might be talking about something different. <laughs> Uh, but on the Villarreal side, yeah, it looked like a few guys were, were, were maybe a bit shaky. I thought Raul uh, Albiol might miss it with his old ass and his little ponytail at that age. But, I mean, he took care of business. He <laughs> Apparently, business. he never took a professional penalty up until that day. I couldn't I couldn't tell. Like, they knew this was going to happen. And the fact that everybody scored their penalty minus David De Gea, all the outfield players scored their PKs, right? Now, one thing that really stuck with me was Ole Gunnar Shoskar. In extra time, or up to the 90th minutes, doesn't make any substitutions. It takes him 100 minutes to make the sub, the first sub, which was Fred for uh, Mason Greenwood. So his players are clearly showing that they're, I mean, because United, I would say in the second half, were coming after their goal and had momentum and were looking to get a second, although they, they ended up obviously not getting it. But they looked like they had the momentum in there. Extra, extra time begins. And what does Unai Emery do? He subs out his two fullbacks and he brings on two fullbacks and they like for like did. subs, right? And as as you mentioned, in extra time they mopped the floor of Man United, and so Ole Gunnar Solskjaer looked like he was was subbing only for penalties. Like he was like, "All right, I'm already prepping for penalties." You literally said want... that when Juan Mata, when you saw Juan Mata run on there, like, "Yeah, this is a penalty sub." Him and Alex Teyes. Right, and that's and the point is go, just just bring it all back full circle, Ronnie. Thank you. You see him trying to make the tactics for penalties, while that may may be much easier than doing it for the actual match itself. But the choices that he brought on to take the penalties, Wamata, first of all, he did a nice little curler. It took five minutes to get to the back of the net, and there was no <laughs> way Rooney was going to save that. Never, like it was coasting to the far left top corner of the, of the net. Like as beautiful as a penalty, if it's not a panenka as, as it gets. And then Alex Tellers, Alex Tellers gets in a defender, and he does the exact same thing. <laughs> so, so clearly, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's got some noodle in that head of his to make the subs that he knows will make an impact. Just not on pitch during the ninety minutes or during. I mean, even that's time. what that's what struck me. If this match ended, let's say VRL found the latest winner possible in regular time. Ole would have not made a single sub. This is the man who complained in the Premier League that you need five subs, yet you didn't make one in the Europa League final where you could make five subs. Like, yep. and the fuck it's, gives? It's Facts. And it's just a recurring problem for him, his, you know, his match management and you know, um, adjusting tactically during the game and uh, making this the substitutions that'll make an impact, and, uh, unless it's like, oh, okay, this person's coming off injury, they're healthy now, they're clearly supposed to be in the starting eleven, and I'll bring them on at some point during the game, and they obviously will make an impact because they're a good player. But like you said, Villarreal subs were all tactically sound. Manchester like United, exactly, and Manchester United couldn't do that for a hundred minutes, and when they did do that, it was strictly to get ready for penalties. I don't get it, it. it. Yeah, and it just, I guess. Push comes to shove. It goes to show. The good brothers at Raw Football Talk mentioned it last week when we had them on. Shots to them. Sorry for your loss. It is what it is. <laughs> but they mentioned it. You know, you could argue that United's team is more talented. But the one thing is that the guy leading the ship, Unai Emery, he's done this time and time again in this competition. You know, it was it was a goal of Villarreal. The player said it to him earlier in the beginning of the season, as reported by BBC, Friday Football Social. Shout to them. 
Guillaume Balag mentioned that they said, you've been Europa League, we're in Europa League, you know how to get there, take us there. And when it mattered most in those moments, there was the good coach and there was the bad coach. And the better coach obviously took it. I don't even know if it's the bad coach, more so the guy who doesn't really know how to coach. Well, there you go. <laughs> Emily has won going into this. He won three Europa Leagues on the trot for Sevilla. He won his fourth on Wednesday, the winningest manager in Europa League history. As for the game, I've mentioned briefly that Marcus Rashford didn't have the best of games either. Bruno, trash. The player of the game, if you ask me, Scott McTominay for Manchester United. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. Uh, he I did everything was, no one else in the Manchester United midfield wanted to do. Yeah, I think defensively, United looked looked pretty good as well. Obviously, no Harry Maguire. Um, but, yeah, Scott McTominay was pushing the ball up. He was retrieving balls. He was, you know, uh, making interceptions. He was, you know, he was, he was the 90-minute man for them. And, and he was gassed at the end of the game. Done. Tired. Out of here. How did Ole I, reward him? No, keep playing. <laughs> keep playing. I say that to say neither side had the greatest game. It's kind of surprising going into this game. Who thought this would be kind of evenly played? But that's what it turned out to be. Minus the extra time where, again, Villarreal made Manchester United look silly. And then penalties is a 50-50 chance. But yeah, very happy for Villarreal. Again, first major accomplishment. Speaking of Manchester United, um... Danny Parejo couldn't do anything under Gary Neville when he was boss at Valencia. He dipped. Um, Parejo stayed. He didn't win a Copa del Rey. Goes to Villarreal, wins the Europa League. And Gary Neville says, I let him down. <laughs> he did say that. <laughs> I saw that article. I saw. <laughs> hey, man, you really did, though. He won two trophies since you. Gerard Moreno, again, phenomenal. If you have a conversation of who breaks into the Manchester United squad, he does. What else is there to say about this, um, other than Oli out? Uh, I got one here that's going to kill me to say, but uh, I guess I got to say it. Uh, two Villarreal players, uh, one of them currently a Tottenham Hotspur loanee, Juan Foyth and uh, Etienne Capoue, one of the um, notable seven who was purchased with the Gareth Bale money, become the next two Spurs players to leave Tottenham and win a trophy. Um, so... You know, there's that, something that I can uh, look at and be like, well, how about that, huh? That's really much, I mean, that's really all I got to say about the match. Overall, entertaining. Um, Ronnie, what would you say what was the more enjoyable game to watch? Europa League final or Champions League final? Europa League final. The penalty sealed it. Wow. That's all you needed. 11, the 11 and 10. I mean, that was a once in a while, once in a lifetime moment. Yeah, you never yeah. see 11 rounds of penalties where all... 10 outfield players for each side score. But I don't know. I feel, again, the Champions League final was a lot more open than this Europa League final. But when you throw in penalties and extra time, and the way Villarreal just had the better extra time, I'd give I'd give this game the edge. But that's not to say that the Champions League final was trash. It was really good, too. What say you? Oh, man. Uh, you know, all right, that, that penalty shootout to me once in a lifetime. You can't. Like, it's hard to go against that. Champions League final was very much enjoyable. It did finish 1-0. Defensive masterclass. Literally, no, not even joking. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I might go Champions League final um, just because the game was open. There were chances late. If Pulisic would have scored late on, 
to you know ice the game, then I would say Europa League final easily. But he missed and gave some a lifeline of hope to City. City tried. Aguero came on. I was over here screaming. It's Aguero, Aguero time is still in effect. Not until 93 minutes and 20 seconds. It's still in effect. Um, but sure enough, <laughs> nothing happened. It was the excitement, the suspense of the match to me. That uh, for that reason, I picked the Champions League final. Although. You know, you could argue the very same thing, but the penalty shootout, it was suspense. Once it hit, hit sudden death, every penalty kick was suspenseful. For real, man. But again, unless like I said, I, unless I, we're on the field, clearly them boys knew they was going to make every penalty. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I, I don't say that to say that the Champions League final was trash or anything, but if I had to choose, I would choose the Europa League final. But like I mentioned, Villarreal Chelsea in August at the UEFA Super Cup in Belfast, Northern Ireland. We have so much, we have a whole summer to get to before that comes. But until then, do you have quick words on anything around Europe? Uh, it might be even too much to get to the managerial swing because that's a whole topic in itself. I guess we could drop some quick nuggets like Simone Ghazi leaving Lazio to join Inter after. Antonio Conte decides to leave Inter for having a disagreement with the Inter board. Then you have Andrea Pirlo getting sacked by Juventus. They end up bringing back Massimiliano Allegri. As we mentioned, Gennaro Gattuso was sacked by Napoli. <laughs> he ends up taking the reins at Fiorentina. And Spalletti over, is now over at Napoli. Correcto mundo. Then you in Spain, you have Zinedine Zidane stepping away from Real Madrid and the likes of Raul, Xabi Alonso, Yogi Love are all in consideration <laughs> to take Ooh. over. Uh. I feel like the last draw for Zidane was when he saw the Santiago Bernabeu construction site on fire. Nah, he he, he saw the end of the season, Loney's returning, he said, Gareth Bale, oh, I'm out of here. Hey, man, it all coincided with that fire. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's the coaching cell and the, the coaching carousel in a nutshell. Surprisingly, no one in England got touched. Oh, also, rumor has it, Mauricio Pochettino wants out of PSG. Woo-hoo! Actually, at time of recording, I did receive a notification uh, that PSG is opting to like enact a clause in his contract to extend him for one more season. Damn it, man. And rumor has it, he wants to return to Spurs. I don't know, but... I don't know either, and this is just too much for me to handle. Isn't it crazy, though, that the last two PSG managers won silverware this week? Yeah, man. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. And another thing, what else is kind of crazy, is that this Pochettino getting an extended clause in his contract uh, is the second manager to have that happen, that Spurs have been allegedly looking to uh, land. Same thing happened with Eric Ten Hag. As soon as there was contact, that Spurs were looking to get him. So I just say all that to say it's, it's bad on this side. But that's neither here nor there. Actually, that sounds like some bullshit is what it sounds like. Um, I know what you're trying to do, but I want to talk about Brentford very quick. Mm, floor is yours. Brentford defeats Swansea City 2-0 in the promotion playoff at Wembley. Goals by Ivan Tony and Emiliano Moncadas were the difference. Brentford become the 50th Premier League club in history. They are promoted, and I'm excited to see Brentford in the Premier League this season coming up. I, I tell this in the group chat, no matter what happened with Brentford, because I feel like a Premier League team was going to pick up Ivan Tony. he's going to be a problem next season. 
Yeah, man. And listen, I'm I'm smart enough to not make the same mistake twice. Last season, we talked about Ben Rama. We talked about Ollie Watkins, both of which played for Brentford. And you could argue they should have been promoted last season. But this year, they're in the Premier League. And if there's another guy that's scoring a bunch of goals for them, listen, man, I'm with you, Ronnie. I'm with you. Hey, man, if a, whether a team decides to pick him up, better be a top six team. If not with Brentford, he is going to have a good season. If anything, I would even jump out the window and say he might be one of the dudes that helped Brentford stay up. Does he pull a Timo Pukki and jump out the race uh, as, as the Golden Boot uh, leader for a, a couple months? The difference is Timo Pukki went back down. Mm. Um, maybe. Sure did. Scoring <laughs> <laughs> like three hat tricks in like five games. <laughs> That's crazy. He let all. He he should have saved them goals for the end of the season. Poor guy. When you needed them the most. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we'll see him in the Premier League next season. Norwich City, Brentford, and Watford are all going to be in the Premier League next season. Other relegation scraps in Europe. FC Con. They took on Holstein Kiel in the German relegation playoff. Kohn is the 18th, rather the 16th place team in the Bundesliga. Holstein Kiel was a third place team in the Zweite Liga and uh, entered the second leg with a 1-0 advantage, having won away at the Billy Goats. But FC Kohn said, F that, we are going to stay up in this Bundesliga. In the yeah, first moment yeah. of the game, there were like four goals. Jonas Hector scoring in the third for Con. Jason Lee in the fourth minute. Sebastian Anderson with a double within five minutes. And then it was all Con from there. Yeah. Uh, Con, Con woke up and realized, hey, we're playing a third place, second tier team. Let's just, let's get this out of here. And they put their big boy pants on and busted five past them. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man, I didn't see the game. I was en route to the Champions League final, but when I saw highlights of it back, hey, man, Klon came to play. Yeah, overall, good season for Holston Kiel, though. I mean, they ended up deep in the DFB Pokal. And then they beat you know, Bayern Munich to get to the semifinal, yeah. Right, and then, you know, before crashing out to uh, BVB, you know, and then made it all the way here to a promotion playoff. So maybe there's a good, good things in their future, but unfortunately, they won't be in the Bundesliga next season. No, and whenever they do join the Bundesliga, it'll be a Brentford-type situation, their first season in the Bundesliga. But another season in the Zweite Bundesliga, it is. And lastly, in Italy, Venezia, 2-1 winners on aggregate over Cittadella in the promotion playoffs there. They are back in the top flight for the first time in 19 years. Shouts to Venezia. Real quick, every time I go into a soccer store, I always see some type of Venezia apparel or gift toy, like a mug or a keychain or a T-shirt. So I'm like, all right, Venezia is really popular out in these parts. And they really are. So shouts to Venezia. That being said, um, LV, it's that time. Oh, you, you mean that time that I thought it was a couple of minutes ago, but it's actually this time? You're talking about, is it BS the week time? I think it is. <laughs> hey, okay, this one's stacked this week. A lot, a lot of funny things, I think, went down. So A lot of funny you- things went down. Um, I'll start off. Um, for me, it, it is funny, but it also 
goes to a much more serious point. Um, specifically, Paul Scholes being stupid and jumping out the window with the fact. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, man. Jumping out the window with, you know, pretty much shitting on Villarreal just because, oh, they were in whatever position they were in La Liga without even considering their Europa League performance and their run-up to that game. Playing there is Villarreal. Real. You're playing a team that's seventh. Yeah. A team that finished seventh in the league. In a really time. poor La Liga. Yeah. Look, think of Real Madrid, Barcelona this year. How bad have they been? Mm-hmm. Playing a team at seven, United should win, should win this game comfortably. All on paper, yeah, Manchester United should have won this. They have the star power. They have all the players. But you can never disrespect an opponent the way he did in a final, especially. And that's what the presenter was trying to point out to him. He also was shitting on Juan Foyth, saying he's so bad he couldn't even play at Tottenham, sort of, kind of. <sighs> Pretty much kept Marcus Rashford in his pocket, wrapped with a head wrap and everything, bloody nose and everything. He looked fucked up. But Juan Forth did what he had to do. So the point here is you've got to respect your opponent. And more so, say what you want about former players becoming pundits. You like it to an extent, but when it comes to like complete bias where you can't even see what's going on on the other side... It's just, nah, I don't really, nah, I don't subscribe to that. Yeah, you'll have your pundits who they f- played for a former club, like CBS. Um, You have um Jamie Carragher, Liverpool legend, Micah Richards, Manchester City, but they're able to speak about the game objectively, even though Michael was upset as hell that Man City lost. You didn't get that with Rio Ferdinand, who who within like the first minute of the BT Sport broadcast referred to Manchester United as we. How are the nerves? Are you confident? I'm quietly confident, yeah. I think Man United will win it. I think it'll be tight, it'll be close, but I think we just have too much firepower for them. Again, you got <laughs> to be impartial some of these times. This was, This is one of these times, but, you know, BT Sport dropped the ball on this one. And then in the Champions League final coverage, I don't know. But they had Gary Lineker. And, again, speaking of impartiality, he played for Spurs. He played for Barcelona. He is one of the most impartial people I know, which is why he's one of the best presenters at his job. But um, that's what I have to say about that. What do you think about that? If you have a thought on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm really quickly, I just think um, sometimes the really great players don't end up being great post-career at their job. I've never really heard Paul Scholes say something pundit-worthy, so I'll leave it at that. Bro, BT Sport had three Manchester United players as studio pundits for the final. Scholes, Ferdinand, and Hargreaves. Yeah, there were some intense reactions and uh, maybe some hot takes, which we obviously got. Right, but where is the person who can give you a La Liga angle or insight on Villarreal? Because I feel like the only thing they knew about them was Gerard Moreno, and Unai Emery. Yeah, you hate to see it. Yeah, but again, when it came to the Champions League final, Gary Lineker, one of the best at his craft, does his damn thing. I respect him. Can't say the same about the guys who are doing the UEL final studio stuff. But speaking of the Champions League, Antonio Mateo Lajos, LV, the floor is yours. Okay. 
<clears throat> Thank you for that transition, Ronnie. So I've got a couple of BS of the week. I'm going to start with this one, obviously, in the Champions League, as Ronnie so graciously served it up on a play for me. We talked about this uh, this referee who looked like Phil Collins. Now, there was a specific moment we talked about earlier in the pod, Kevin DeBrown uh, going out injured uh, due to a collision, a harsh collision with Antonio Rudiger. And uh, DeBrown walked off with a black look, black eye, looked like he got you know beat up or something, neither here nor there. Now, the thing about this was ultimately Antonio Rudiger still on the floor, about to get up. Clearly, he's still going to carry on with the match while KDB is long gone, uh, is ready to stand up. And he gets some help, not from one of his players, not from the physio, but Antonio Hossa. Did I say his name right? Uh, this Mr. Phil, Mr. Phil Collins himself. We'll go, we'll go, we'll go with Phil Collins. He gets, some help from, he gets some help from Mr. Phil Collins, who picks him up with one hand, and in the other hand, has a yellow card right in Antonio Rudiger's face. Like, I ain't forget about this, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Brought him right into it. So, I mean, Rudiger, Rudiger on his way up to stand up on his two feet is staring a yellow card right in his uh, grill. So, big up to Phil Collins, the ref, not playing no games. Uh, overall, did some great officiating, but that to me was some big BS. You could have at least waited till the guy brushed his pants off or his shorts off. <laughs> You can't give him a couple seconds to get himself right and reoriented. That was uh, pretty funny to see. Now, my second BS of the weekend goes back to the Europa League final. Mr. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We talked about his man management. Mm. We talked about this, that, and third. You talked about Man United players making predictions that may have been a little left field. Now, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had one that had nothing to do with stats, tactics, how he thought teams were, players are, whatever. Now, we know the Europa League final was uh, on May 26th. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer explained in an interview pre-match saying, I think that this game will be good for us because he believed that there was a good omen. And as I said, the match is on May 26th. He explained to the press that his wife's birthday is on the 26th of May. His wedding anniversary also took place on the 26th. And he mentioned Matt Busby, the late great Manchester United manager way back when, who won trophies on trophies for Manchester United, first manager to win a European Cup with Man United. His birthday is also on the 26th. So that all that being said, Shoscar says, this will be a great omen for us. I think it will be a good omen, he says. It's something positive, and you think it'll work in your favor. Now, that's all fine and dandy. Superstitious or not, that's nice. Now, you would think that maybe it was the complete opposite. It was a bad omen because it's notable that, uh, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer started B1, the only David De Gea during the Europa League final. And we know that he has another keeper that's been playing in the Premier League a lot, has been making a name for himself. His name is Dean Henderson. And Ronnie, um, just to let you know, I'm sure you know this already, but Dean Henderson's jersey number is 26. And David De Gea decided, or I'm sorry, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer went ahead and decided, everything is 26 right now. My wife's birthday, Busby's birthday, anniversary. It's, in a, it's a good omen. He made the decision to look at Dean Henderson and say, number 26, you're not going to play today. And sure enough, 26 came to bite him in his ass when instead he started David De Gea behind the sticks, who, as we know, missed the final penalty. And you gotta, can't help but think, if you're superstitious, maybe, just maybe, <laughs> number 26, Dean Henderson might have scored that. <laughs> I don't know. So, PS uh, of the week to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, being superstitious, but obviously not superstitious enough. <laughs> <laughs> you left out something else that happened on May 26th. 
Oh no, what happened? The nineteen ninety nine Champions League final. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, <my. laughs> Scared to look, you shook. Ain't no such thing as halfway quirks. And Ole gonna show Scar, Mr. Superstitious. But it's just not superstitious. (laughs) 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 You hate to see it, but you kind of love to see it because that's hilarious. And yeah, that's all I got. Uh, Real quick, um, all I got on social was talking about the lack of preseason he had at the end of May. Fam, we don't care anymore. <laughs> Shut your ass up. <laughs> we don't care anymore. This ain't September. To be fair, I don't care. Hey, man. But again, just like when Pep said Cham- Premier League is more important than lifting the Champions League, all they said trophies are ego driven. So you kind of get what you asked for. Karma hitting the Manchester sides in the face. Yep, you get what you ask for. And when you don't put in Dean Henderson number 26, instead you choose to ignore it, it's going to come to bite your ass, apparently. And that's what mm. it did. <laughs> All that being said, Ronnie, any shout-outs? Uh, shouts to Villarreal for doing the damn thing. Shouts to um, Chelsea fans, I guess. N'Golo Conte, I'd say. N'Golo Conte. Shouts to N'Golo Conte. Shouts to Brentford. Shouts to Hostin Kiel for catching a mean ass whooping guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, damn it, man. Um, <laughs> shouts to Mexico who almost lost to Iceland. Mm. And in shouts to the U.S. for losing to Switzerland. But to mm. have an American tell it, Christian Polisico wasn't playing. Um, and, and he don't even care. Hey, man, he is a UCL winner from Hershey, Pennsylvania. There we go. All that being said, Ronnie, you want to go ahead and sign the boys off? Yes, sir. Episode 43 is a wrap. Episode 44 is coming soon. And when it does, we got to talk about Euro 2020. But until then, for the good brother LV and Spence, who's chilling at the data desk, I go by the name of Ronnie. We will see you then. Again, stay strong, be brave. Adios, mi gente. Ooh.